don't know me, my name's David. I am on staff here. I'm the small groups director at Severn. And, um, and today we're going to uh, continue our little intermission from our series called Belief in the Age of Skepticism. We're going to give uh, Pastor Ryan and his family a little more time to, to recuperate and, and heal up and rest up. Um, so we're still taking a break from this. And uh, in a very uh, kind of cliche turn of events, um, I'm going to talk today about community. And uh, if you know anything about small groups or uh, small group directors or small group pastors, uh, they always talk about community. Uh, but this is actually the first time I've ever taught on it, so I've avoided it until now. Um, but I don't know if you've heard this or if you if you've, uh, have ever heard this before, but I've actually heard that every time a small group director preaches on community that an angel gets its wings. So um, don't know if that's true. There's no way to prove if it's true or not. Um, but, uh, but I am going to talk on community. That part's true. And uh, most of us uh, here, probably all of us here, have heard about like studies about why we need community and you know the the effects of community on your health and the detrimental effects of isolation. Uh, you've probably heard about studies that show you know the way COVID is impacting community or the way that social media has impacted community. And um, and I find all those extremely interesting. And I think there's it's definitely uh, cool to look into those. But today I'm not really going to spend uh, time trying to convince you that you need community or just talking about the benefits of it. Um, instead, what we're going to focus on is specifically um, Christian community and uh, kind of talking about, you know, what, what makes it unique? Uh, why would anyone really want to be a part of it? You know, what is it really? And, uh, and I think, unfortunately, uh, for a lot of us, our experience with Christian community has been kind of the same, if not even worse, than other forms of community that we've experienced in our life. You know, you, your experience might be that uh, you've found nicer people playing pickup sports or at work or in your neighborhood. Um, and um, I think if that's you, if you've kind of been hurt by Christians or through the church, um, just want you to know you're not alone. And uh, whether you're a Christian or not, <clears throat> we'll just ask you to lean in today um, as we look at the source material, um, or at least part of the source material, um, about what a Christian community is supposed to be and what we're, what, who we are as Christians and what that group identity really is. And um, to do this, we could go um, in a lot of different places. And um, there's, you know, about a million different passages you could use to teach on community or Christian community. But today, to kind of focus our time, um, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 11 through 17. So I'll read that first, and then we'll kind of get going here. <clears throat> so this is verse 11. In Christ, there is not Greek and, barbarian, or Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <clears throat> uh, so today I have a pretty straightforward outline uh, as far as what we're going to talk about. I'll kind of give it to you on the front end. Uh, we're going to talk first about the foundation of Christian community. Then we're going to talk about the reality of Christian community. And then lastly, we'll look at a few practices of Christian community. So first, to, to talk about the foundation of Christian community, uh, which you kind of have to start here, because just like a building, you know, if, if your foundation's off, the whole thing's going to be off. It's just not going to work. Um, but to do that, I'm going to reread verse 11 in the very beginning of verse 12 for us. So in verse 11, we read this. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. And then listen to the way that Paul describes Christians, like what their identity is. He says, therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved. Now, obviously, you know, it probably doesn't come as a surprise to anybody that the foundation of Christian community is Christ. It's Jesus. Um, But what I want to look at is why is it that that foundation, what is it about that foundation that Christian community has that allows it to have people from such differing backgrounds that we see there in verse 11, um, allows those people to exist in a community that's really unlike and unique from any other community that's ever existed. Uh, Because for you and me, when we hear verse 11, and we hear um, Paul the Apostle who wrote this, when we hear him saying, you know, there's not Jew or Greek or barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, that's not going to hit us the same way that would have hit the original audience. Uh, Because those groups of people he's listing, they're not just different than each other. They're not just, you know, different backgrounds, different experiences. Um, They are, like, opposed to each other. They're enemies. They would have hated each other, Jews and Gentiles, you know, slave and free. Like, they would have been absolute enemies with one another. And if you even think about, you know, Paul the Apostle, the guy who wrote this, he was a previous persecutor of Christians, you know, and, and, like, had people thrown in prison and killed over their beliefs. But now he's in community with these people. So, Um, while you and I might not be intimately familiar with why Jews and Greeks would have hated each other so much, uh, what I'm sure you are familiar with is our ability as humans uh, to create us-versus-them communities or scenarios or really just segmenting into groups and dividing. Like, you don't have to be convinced that that happens and how good we are at that as people. Uh, We can create polarized groups no matter what kind of community you're in. So the question I want to look at is what makes, what is it about this foundation that we have in Christian community, this foundation we have in Jesus, what is it about that that makes this kind of community between people like that are so different and even opposed to each other that makes it possible for them to live in harmony with each other? And um, in his book, uh, Making Sense of God, Tim Keller asks this exact question. He says, you know, <clears throat> what kind of people do we have to be if we're going to live in harmony with others? Like basically, even people who are this different than us, even our enemies. What kind of people do we have to be? What kind of identity do we have to have? And after, you know, some argumentation and, you know, quoting some really smart people whose names I probably can't even pronounce, uh, this is the uh, conclusion he came to. This is who we have to be. He said, we need a radical humility that in no way can assert superiority over the other. We must not see ourselves as qualitatively better. But at the same time, there can be no insecurity. For insecurity compels us to find fault and to demonize the other to shore up our own sense of self. So that, hu- that humility must proceed not from our own emptiness and valuelessness, but from a deeply secure and confirmed sense of our own worth. Only then will I not need to think of others as worse than they are, or myself as better than I am. Only then can I accept them as they are. Uh, so to, to summarize what he's saying there, <clears throat> he's saying that in order to live in harmony like this, We need an identity that is both radically humble and radically secure at the same time. And if you spend enough time kind of thinking about that, uh, you'll come to realize pretty quickly that if we are trying to uh, build our own identity based on our own efforts, um, that this is actually a completely impossible task, to both be completely humble and completely secure at the same time. And here's why. If you think through it, you know, the different ways we can kind of form our own identities when we base it on our achievements or our work, um, you know, we can do things like our identity is that I'm a hard worker. You know, that's my identity. Or I'm a, I'm a good dad or I'm a good husband or whatever it is. Like I'm a good artist. That's my identity. 
Um, whenever we do that, it's not going to provide us, first off, with the humility we need to live in this kind of community. And the reason for that is if you have any measure of success, for example, if your identity is, I'm a hard worker, I might not be the best or most talented, but I work hard. If you have any measure of success at actually working hard, no matter how badly you don't want to, you will see yourself as superior to people who don't work hard, to lazy people. Or to even, you'll even, you know, probably have bitter feelings towards people who are more talented but don't work as hard as you, you know. And, and even your ability to make your identity that you're a hard worker, even your ability to do that comes from realizing, you know, I work harder than so-and-so. So that's where, when we, any, and that's just one example, but any time whenever it depends on our achievement to build our identity, we're not going to have the humility we need for this type of harmony and community between people. But secondly, it won't provide us with the security we need when we're building our own identity because if your identity rests in the fact that you're a hard worker, you are every single day going to be in the proverbial courtroom basically working to justify your own existence. You have to work hard enough to still be able to call yourself a hard worker. And that's a crushing way to live. It doesn't provide you with a sense of security and steadfastness because it depends on you. So, you know, what's, what's different about Christian community? How is the foundation of Christian community different? Because if we're honest, you know, Christians, we fall into the same self-justifying, looking down another way of, as, that, of, as what I just walked through. For example, we can even look down on people because they're not Christians. We can say, why don't they just become a Christian like me? You know, why aren't they as humble as me? Why can't they figure it out like I did? So we can do the same thing. However, what I would say that what we see in Col Colossians 3 is we have, we have the resources if we recognize the foundation of our community, the foundation of our identity, we have the resources to both be radically humble and radically secure at the same time. And we see that um, very clearly in the way that Paul addresses Christians at the beginning of verse 12. He calls Christians chosen ones of God, holy and loved. And if you consider that, that that's your identity, you're, ch you're chosen, you're set apart, and you're loved, what all those things have in common is that in that identity, all three of those, we are passive agents. We are not chosen because we did something. God chose us. We're not set apart because we did something. God set us apart. And we're not loved because we did something. God loved us. So God is the one who's doing the work. It's, a, it's an identity that we've been given. We've received it. We didn't work for it. And what that means, first off, is that this should humble us. Because when you consider the work that God did to make this possible, it's that he sent his son to be crushed for us so that we didn't have to be crushed by our own inability to justify ourselves. That's the first admission. If you're a Christian, that's your very first admission. It took the death of the Son of God to make me okay. Like, we can't look down on anybody. There's no room for superiority there. So that we should be radically humble. But at the very same time, this provides this identity that we have, this foundational identity we have in Jesus, been given in Jesus, provides us with the ability to be secure unlike any other identity we could try to gain for ourselves because it doesn't rest on our efforts. And when you think about what it means that God willingly chose you and set you apart and willingly loves you, even though he didn't have to, but because he wanted to, that gives you a sense of your worth that you, we, we, don't, we feel kind of awkward even thinking of ourselves as worth that much. But that's what, we, that's what we see in this foundational identity we have in Jesus is that we can be that humble and we can be that secure because it doesn't depend on us. So with this foundation we have the ability to then live in harmony with people who are completely different than us, who may even be, um, you know, people who hate us, people who are enemies with us, and that, that's the reality of this foundation, is that it's different than any other community. It has the potential, the resources to be different than any other community that exists. <clears throat> but we don't always live in light of that. 
We don't always live in the reality of who we have been made in Jesus. And uh, that actually brings me to the, the second thing that I wanted to talk about today is the reality of Christian community. <clears throat> so in verses uh, 12 through 14, we see this. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. So when I say the, the reality of Christian community, I kind of mean it, I mean, we're going to talk about it in kind of two different uh, phases or aspects of what that reality is. The first is uh, the reality that Christian community is messy. It's, uh, it's a lot uglier. It's not as pretty as we'd like, it to th- like to think it is sometimes. And, uh, and it's really easy to infer that from this list that we see here uh, because you don't need forgiveness, acceptance, and patience when everything's fine. <laughs> you need forgiveness when someone has offended you and wronged you. You need to work at accepting one another whenever people are hard to accept because they are so different than you. And you need to have patience with one another when people are really annoying <laughs> or slow to come around to learn what you think they should have learned by now. And um, I recently read a book called, or reread a book called Life Together. It's by a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you haven't heard of him, he's a, a German pastor. He was a, a pastor before and then during World War II. And he's actually most, he's a German pastor who uh, is most famously known for actually being executed for the part he played in trying to bring down Hitler. <clears throat> and uh, aside from that, he also wrote some really great things. He wrote this little book called Life Together. It's about Christian community. And in that, he talks about the danger of having uh, what he calls a wish dream, which is um, essentially, uh, you'll see here what that is as far as um, a wish dream for what Christian community is supposed to be. And he talks about the dangers of that. And he says, he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself, becomes a destroyer of that community. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Uh, so what he's saying, in other words, is if, if that you and I, coming into a Christian community, have like over-romanticized what that's going to be like, or we have just unrealistic expectations of, of what that's going to be, what we, what we do is we unintentionally avoid and sabotage actual real Christian community. And what I thought might be worth doing this morning is taking a minute just to consider, maybe you could take, take time where you're sitting or at home just to think about um, what are some of the expectations you have about a Christian community that might actually be keeping you from being a part of what, the, what we're really called to, what real Christian community actually is. And I have a list here. Uh, some of these are just common ones that either I've had or people I've talked to and, and asked about before putting this together. Uh, just common you know, common uh, faults are wrong expectations, unrealistic expectations that we can have about a church or about a Christian community. <clears throat> uh, number one, uh, I expect my Christian community to be a place where we all get along and there are no major disagreements. I expect, or I know no one's perfect, but I expect a community where there aren't any big sins, whatever a big sin is. Um, I don't expect to be offended or wronged, which when you think about that, when we carry that expectation, what we're saying is, I don't ever expect to actually have to do this thing called forgiving somebody else. And uh, I think on top of that, this is maybe just me, but I think um, oftentimes it's sometimes harder to be the one who needs to be forgiven. So we can come in expecting, I don't expect to ever need to be forgiven. It's hard to stick around after, and that can be a hit to your pride when you are the one who offended or you're the one who wronged. Here's a few other ones. Uh, I want to be part of a community that supplements my life without taking much time. I expect to be part of something cool. I expect my community to be exciting and fun. 
or I expect to be comfortable. I don't want to have to bear the weight of other people's problems. And these are just a few examples. Um, you know, obviously, it'd be worth it to take time to kind of think of, of your own, like what are the false expectations that you have about what Christian community is supposed to be. But I do want to caveat this first before moving on, just saying there are valid reasons to not be part of a, of a church or a community, um, such as abuse or toxic leadership or, you know, just disregard for God's word. But I think the majority of the time, what we end up doing to ourselves, to our own detriment, is we come in with these expectations that are just unrealistic. And when those aren't met, we, we avoid actually pressing in and being a part of a community like we could be. So this is the first thing uh, that we see as far as the reality of Christian communities, that it's messy and, it, and it's costly. You know, it's, when you look at this, these verses, we, we see that we're called to forgive one another like God forgave us and to love like God loves us. That's, that's a costly love when you consider what that is. Um, so this is the first thing we see, and, and often we, you know, we can run around looking for the, the perfect community, but we're not going to find that here on earth. And I, I actually didn't know it was, uh, it was Billy Graham who said it. I've heard this all my life, but uh, he's, he once said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll spoil it. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a, just a great way to keep, us, to keep ourselves humble. Um, <clears throat> but even though the reality of Christian community is that it's messy, it doesn't mean we don't have a picture of what it can be and what it's supposed to be and really what, what we've been called into and, and the community that we, that we are. And we see that in verse 12 through 14 where we see uh, this picture of a people that really I think everyone would want to be a part of. It's people who are compassionate, who are patient, who are kind and gentle and accepting and forgiving and loving one another. Like everyone wants to be a part of that. And again, I love that that list, the list itself, implies that we won't do it perfectly. Again, because you need to forgive somebody when they're not patient enough. And you need to accept somebody even though they're, they're not as forgiving as they should be. And I just, I love that the reality there is, um, it implies that we won't do it perfectly here on earth. Um, but as it means to kind of consider this list of, of things that describes this community that, we, that we're called into, um, I just wanted to kind of give us some like group identity statements, which the idea of group identity is kind of foreign to us as Americans. Um, we're so individualistic um, that it might even sound weird to say group identity. Um, but what that is is basically how you can know, like, what do my people do in this situation? Like, how do my people respond to this? What are my people like? And, and I think that's important for us to know as Christians because you do have a people. You know, you're part of a, you have a group identity as a Christian. And I think it's important to point out before I go through, the, you know, these statements, um, this is the community we've already been made into. It's not that we need to do these things to be Christians or to be a Christian community. We have to do these things. It's, this is who we are. Just sometimes we forget it. <clears throat> but, but these are some statements. Again, these are just a, not a comprehensive list, but just some statements about who we are as a people pulled from those, those words in Colossians. Uh, first, we are a people who have genuine compassion for others, even those who hurt us. We are a people who approach others in humility never assuming a superior posture because, of, because we know how flawed we are. We are a people who are kind and gentle even when nobody else is. We are a people who don't give up on one another even when we fail miserably. And we are a people who are faithful, forgiving friends. We do not abandon one another even when we have a conflict. Now, obviously, that's a, not a comprehensive list of what we could pull from that. It's kind of a generalized one. But I've found that statements like that can help me take a list of words I just saw in Colossians and, and drive it down into my daily life. Okay, what does this mean for who I am as a Christian? What does this mean for the community I'm a part of? And it really can help make it more real, not just a list of words. <clears throat> and um, you can get more specific in smaller groups of friends, which I think is really cool, um, because that's a pretty generalized list I gave you. But, for example, say you're, say you're a salesman and you're a Christian and you know some other 
salesmen who are also Christian, you work in sales, uh, you could be as specific, for example, as um, we are a people who don't upsell customers on things they don't need just so we get a bigger paycheck. Like you could really drive this down into your being as far as like who am I as a Christian. And again, I, I want to emphasize this isn't just a list of rules we need to keep to be Christians. This is who we are. And it's just that sometimes we don't live in, in the reality of that. We don't live like that. And I think that's, again, important to know. This isn't something we have to earn. Um, and what's cool, uh, just one more thing about this, when we have a shared understanding of our group identity, it would also allow for us to, to draw each other back and to, and to provide correction in a way that's very loving and very uh, affirming. For example, if you saw me failing to forgive, like choosing to not forgive someone, you could talk to me and say, David, you are loved. You are forgiven. And we are a people who, because we know how much we've been forgiven, we forgive other people. And that's so affirming. You're, re you're reminding me of who I am. And, and if you know anything about forgiveness, you'll probably have to practice patience then as you let me consider this truth you've laid before me because you can't just flip a switch and forgive. But, but I think that that's such an affirming way to do it because it's so different than if you were to say, you're not who I thought you were. You're not who you claim to be because you didn't do this. Because as a Christian, you can say, you're exactly who you claim to be because you claim to be a sinner whose only hope is Jesus. And that reality can help us with any, any type of community that we're trying to be a part of and, and just remembering that group identity. So, so we've looked at kind of the, the foundation of Christian community. You know, it's Jesus, and he gives us an identity, gives it to us, we don't work for it, gives us an identity that allows us to be humble and secure at the same time, and then allows us to engage in this messy, costly, beautiful thing called Christian community. And uh, the last thing I want to look at is uh, just a few practices of um, Christian community, which we see in verses uh, 15 through 17. So I'll read this here. <clears throat> and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, so after verses 12 through 14, where you see this kind of group identity we have, um, in 15 through 17, you see some practices of this community. What do they do together? And, um, and I think some of them are very familiar to us. You know, we just did one. We're singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs together and, and, you know, teaching and admonishing in the message of the Messiah. That's just talking about the gospel. You know, talk about Jesus around each other. You know, giving thanks, being, being grateful people and doing all, you can, all, all that you do in the name of Jesus. Um, and we could, you know, have entire sermon series on each of those. Um, but I wanted to focus on one that maybe we don't think of as often as a, as a Christian community, as a Christian practice. And uh, that's the idea of letting uh, peace control your heart letting peace rule your heart. Um, and th that word peace um, actually had such a cool Greek definition when I, when I was looking at the different words that I just wanted to read it to you. Um, it, the way it's used here in, in Colossians 3, it, it means this. It's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. So what we see here is that that's actually a practice, a Christian practice. One of our, something we do, do as a community is to let our hearts be led by peace, this peace we have in Jesus, not by fear, not by anger, not by our feelings, but by peace. And it's a peace that we have understanding the, uh, 
the justification that we have in Jesus, that we're justified um, completely a part of anything that we've done. And I think what, um, what can be so powerful about that is, um, or what can be, not, not powerful, but what can be so confusing about that for us is that at, you might be a Christian and say, I know these things. You know, I know that I'm justified by Jesus, but I don't feel like my life um, has been led by peace. I don't feel like I've been, I don't feel like my heart is being controlled by peace. How do I make that happen? And, um, and I think that's what's so powerful about these other practices. That's the point of these other practices, because that's why we sing. That's why we sing together, to remind ourselves who God is, what he's done, and how he's made peace available through his son Jesus. That's why we talk about the, the message of the Messiah. It's why we talk about the gospel regularly, to remind ourselves the reason for that peace we have is Jesus, not anything we've done. It's what allows us to have grateful hearts and thankful hearts and to do all that we do in the name of Jesus. It's these messages of reminding ourselves of the gospel show us that Jesus isn't just the foundation of Christian community. He's the aim of every single Christian practice, meaning that there's not a single Christian practice that is done out of the effort to earn God's favor. It's all done out of the reality, the understanding that we already have God's favor in Jesus. And all the practices we have are just to remind ourselves of that and to get to know Jesus better and grow closer to him and to have him near us every day as we walk. And it's only to our own detriment whenever we don't remind ourselves of that. Because when we forget that, it won't be peace that rules our heart. It'll be everything else we're supposed to worry about that day. So we're a people who are led by peace. And I want to I wanna call up the worship team. And we're actually going gonna to close down here. But <clears throat> I wanted to say, if you've... Uh, if you've been listening and, and you would say you're, you're not a Christian, you're somebody who's, you know, you're maybe on the fence, but you're interested, you're listening, I just want to first off say I really appreciate you listening to me talk about Christian community, you know, what it is. And if, and if you hear, you know, what Jesus has done for you, what this community is, and you kind of think, you know, that's, that's not really for me, I'm not really the type of person who does church or who does religion, I'm not really the type of person who, who really, you know, gets to know Jesus, I just want to say first off that there, there's no such thing as a type of person that Christianity isn't for. Um, we see that in verse 11, that it's every type of person from every possible background. There's not one nationality or one niche group of people that Christianity is for. There, there's no type of person it's not for. And I just want to say, if, if, um, you know, if you've, in, in that same boat, if you're not a Christian, and maybe Christians have treated you poorly in the past, you've had bad experiences, I would just say, please don't let Jesus' people keep you from Jesus. Because uh, you're welcome here as you look at Jesus and as you consider him and as you, um, you know, watch online and, and just listen to us talk about him or you, you know, eat with us and get to know us and become friends with us. We just want you to know that you're welcome here as you consider Jesus and know on the front end, we will let you down. We're humans. We will let you down, but Jesus never will. And I hope you come to know him if you don't. And if you're, if you're a Christian, if you're one of the fellow Christians here and you, you call this your, your church community, this is your local church, um, I would just say, like, let's be a people who are willing to engage in this messy, costly, beautiful, Jesus-centered community that we have been made into through Jesus. Not that we need to work to become, but that who we are. Let's, let's live as the people we are and be, be a people who forgive each other when we don't. And let it, like, let's be a group of people who are known for being the most forgiving, accepting, kind people that, that exist. I think that would be something that if the church was known for that, it'd be reflective of what God's word says we should be known for. I think it'd be a good thing. And that comes from understanding the peace that we have because of Jesus.
Not because of something we've done or how great we are, because of the peace we have in Jesus. That's all I have for you. I'm going to go and pray for us and then we'll close. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for today and uh, for each and every person who's here, who's watching and listening. Um, God, I thank you for the way you, you bring people together. Um, people who are so different um, would be at odds with each other um, without you. And uh, God, I just pray that we would be a church that reflects that, that we would be a people who really are uh, kind and gentle and loving, and that that would all come not just from us trying to be kind, but from us seeing how kind, you've been, how kind you have been to us and the peace that we have with you, and that that would give us just a, a sense of, of hope and peace that, uh, that stands out in our world. And I just ask that, uh, that you would drive that deeper into our hearts, make that, make that reality true in us, help us to live um, just aware of these resources that there are in the, the identity you've given us in your son. Father, please be with us today. Thank you again for, for this opportunity to worship you. And uh, uh, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen.